It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Wednesday night, one day after the election that is still in progress. And guess what? We're not going to talk anything about that tonight. It is all Bills, all the time. Your Wednesday live edition of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am your host, Matt Perino. He is my co-host, Ryan Talbot. And at the bottom, ESPN's Marcel Louis-Jacques. I was just thinking about this. The last time this trio was together, we were sitting late night at Velvet Taco in Houston getting after it. Oh, I remember trying to, you know, coming to terms with the fact that if you don't know what Velvet Taco is, then you're going to have some explaining to do because it doesn't, you know, (laughs) I've had multiple people ask me what kind of establishment it is. I'm like, I swear it is an eatery, the finest tacos you're going to get in Central Texas. But uh, man, don't even remind me, man. I miss traveling. I miss feud Houston in general. Like we ate pretty good that weekend. What was Ryan? What was the highlight of that weekend? Because we also had some barbecue down there. There was some. There was some good spots. Yeah, I was going to actually say the barbecue. I, I think we had a really good meal there at uh, Killian's, right? Yep, Killian's. Yep, yep. Killian's. Yep, that was excellent. But the, the tacos were great. Uh, I had the chicken and waffle one. I can. I still think about that from time to time. It was. <laughs> it was dynamite. Dynamite. You know, though, um, like a sneaky contender is that food truck that we had in just the uh, random block of i don't even know what how to describe it because uh, we kind of stumbled upon it it was like i had a ferris wheel in there yeah like, mm-hmm. yeah it looks like fun why not what was that thing Love in the back that. there was there was like uh i think there was some frisbee toss there was a big stat a beetle statue beetle I statue yeah like this was like a really I've, I've never had that good a time in houston i'll admit like i don't like houston that much but that <laughs> single-handedly that trip changed my mind like i'm i'm sold on it now and by the way, the food truck was in a bar. Uh, we, we were just going to get a couple of drinks, and we saw the food truck kind of like in the back of the bar, inside. And we're just like, or maybe it was outside, and the bar was outside. I don't even remember, but it was. You know, we might have been a couple in actually at that point, a couple <laughs> IPAs as well. So that was a uh, that was a fun time. Before we go too down this road, let me just tell you that this is this shout football podcast is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And, you know, this is an interesting week in, you know, Bill's land because I feel like over the course of the weekend, there was kind of this, you know, momentum building towards Tuesday, which, yes, of course, was Election Day, but it was also trade deadline day. And I think a lot of Bill's fans were hoping that Brandon Bean could make a move, maybe shore up a position on the roster, ready the deadline. They didn't do that. They added a couple pieces over the last couple of days in free agency. We'll get to that in a minute. But Marcel, let's tar- start here with the, with the trade deadline. Were you surprised that the Bills weren't able to get a move done or that they didn't make a move on Tuesday? Not really, because in the days leading up to the trade deadline, I- I'm trying to think of you know a name that they're going after and Obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson's name probably topped that list. So did Des McKings. And once you saw the compensation for guys like King, guys like Carlos Dunlap, guys like um, Everson Griffin, you started to think, wow, that, that's not that expensive. Is Brandon Bean actually looking 
to make a deal. And when you think about the long-term implications of the guy that you're trading for, when you're trading, if you are a contender, you're a buyer, you're trading for somebody, you are either picking up a sizable contract or you're picking up somebody who's on the verge of a sizable contract. With the hit that next year's salary cap is expected to take, it's kind of a hard sell bringing in a contract like that when you still have guys that you need to take care of in-house. Guys like Matt Milano. I think with his, even with his injuries this year, I think especially with his injuries this year, he's proven that he's worthy of a big payday because this is not the same defense without him. So once you started to see the compensations for the, some of these some of these guys, it made a little sense that, okay, maybe they're okay with standing pat right now. Maybe Sean McDermott is not just tossing this around when he says that he's confident in the guys in that locker room and he believes they have what it takes to win because they just haven't been healthy all at the same time either. And could it also have been something with Brendan Bean not wanting to part with capital uh, that he deemed to be too high? For instance, uh, look at the Will Fuller situation with the Texans and the Packers. Uh, the, the Texans wanted a second-round pick for this this receiver who really I don't think is worth a second-round pick. The, the Packers wouldn't get off the fourth. So maybe the Bills did make some calls, but they had that set price in mind. And if the other GM wasn't uh, willing to kind of dance, maybe that also – stop being from making any kind of deals? I think that's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, obviously, Brandon Bean, he values his draft picks and he's not just going to part with, I mean, you saw the type of caliber player it takes for him to part ways with draft picks now. You know, he's not doing it unless he gets a guy like Stefan Diggs back. He really likes his draft. He likes being able to develop his team like that because like y'all guys might not like to hear it, but this is Buffalo. It's not a premier free agent destination yet. Even as good as the team has been in recent years, you're not attracting the big names. You've got to be able to build through the draft here. So it's a it is a tough sell parting ways with with high picks for for players. But uh, you know, ultimately, yeah, if he really wanted to get a deal done, I think that he probably would have found a way. But I'm still I'm a little convinced that they're waiting for this roster to get fully healthy because it's been at full strength, and that's Milano, that's Josh Norman, that's Levi Wallace, all in the same. They've been active in the same game. For all of one defensive series, that first series of the game against the Raiders, other than that, it's been kind of patchwork. So I, I think it's a case of let's see. I think this can fix it. Like maybe we don't need to fix anything. Maybe we just need to heal up. And I also think that this is, you know, kind of low key a statement about what they think the potential of this offense is because, you know, the big holes that everybody's talking about outside of maybe tight end. I know a lot of people were talking about Evan Ingram going out and, and, and trading away assets for defensive pieces would mean that maybe you don't have the faith that this offense that was so spectacular in those first four weeks. And by the way, we're going to talk a little bit about this later, but you know, the Rams are the best team defense in the NFL against the pass this season. And we all know what Josh Allen's offense did against that team. So I think that that offense is still in there somewhere. I think that something's a little bit going on with Josh. I wonder about uh, the shoulder. I also, you know, I think we've all talked about it. The, the loss of John Brown, a healthy John Brown in this offense has been very evident. And so I think if they can get back on track and they have a couple matchups in the next couple of weeks where I think that maybe this offense can find a little bit of that mojo they had in the first month. Yeah, I think that's entirely within that realm of possibility. I, I think teams kind of started to figure it out, and, and that's just how this league works. Like, you're not going to be able to do the same thing that makes you successful for 16 games without a team eventually throwing a counter at you. And we saw a counter. Uh, we saw the Titans 
throw it at them. We saw the Chiefs throw it at them. We saw the Jets do their absolute best. And I, I think that he's got potential. This offense still has potential. It still has the pieces as long as they're healthy and he is willing to keep taking his checkdowns and keep staying patient in his reads, then, yeah, this still has the potential to be an explosive offense. Marcel, if Zach Moss and Devin Singletary can replicate the success that they had last week, uh, how, how much would that help Josh Allen in that deep passing game? Because then the defenses that are kind of playing that deep ball are going to have to kind of come in because uh, of the success that they're having on the ground. Yeah, it, it activates the play action. It activates a short passing game as well, <clears throat> and, and or the deep passing game as well. And uh, it gives them something to lean on because you can't be so one-dimensional in this league that you've only got one way to efficiently move the ball. And, I mean, they couldn't move the ball at all. They couldn't run it at all against Tennessee. You just kind of wonder, hmm, how different would this game would have been, would be, if Devin Singletary could have gotten anything going at the line of scrimmage, if that offensive line could have gotten any push, and if the onus wasn't solely on Josh Allen in this passing game to make something happen. And, I, I, you know, I think that it started to come together against the Jets, and that in the second half, that's probably about as balanced as we have seen the Bills offense in 2020. So more of the same against, uh, against the Patriots in Week 8. It's an encouraging sign. But the Seahawks are kind of a different breed. They, they're the eighth-ranked run defense in the NFL right now. And the Bills have had trouble taking advantage of their easy matchups of, of got teams like Tennessee, teams like New York, teams like New England. The I mean, we've seen them kind of start to take advantage of New England and, and New York, but Kansas City wasn't anything special against the run either, and they couldn't get anything going on the ground. So I'm still a little hesitant to believe that they're going to find the same type of success against a proven run unit. But luckily – that Seahawks pass defense is historically bad right now. So I don't know if they're going to have to force the issue there. You know, without going after uh, a trade target, the Bills did make a couple additions over the last couple of days. They added uh, slot cornerback Daryl Worley, who was released by, you know, Dallas Cowboys. You know, everybody on that defense, you know, in, in Dallas has struggled this year. Daryl, obviously, uh, right there with him. And then Darren Lee, former first round linebacker, hasn't played this year, served his suspension uh, to start the season. Um, some interesting additions and more competition brought in the room. They're both on the practice squad right now. We saw them out on the practice field today. What are your early expectations for them? Because with how bad AJ Klein has played so far, and let's be honest, I mean, I still think that there's a, a certain level of confidence or faith that AJ Klein can maybe turn things around and get a little bit more consistent. Um, I don't know if I have that same uh, confidence that the coaching staff seems to have, but Darren Lee's a guy that has done it in this league, uh, you know, not at a super high level, but I think any type of upgrade you can get over Klein at this point is would be ideal. Yeah, I think that this is this is the Bills showing AJ Klein his leash. They're showing, hey, you keep missing reads, especially you keep missing tackles. That's the thing that I, I think that probably drives Sean McDermott a little crazier than he's even letting on is that guys are making the proper read and they're not finishing plays because that's just like he likes to say, that is a breakdown in fundamentals, which are, as we know, his favorite thing on the planet. So I think Darren Lee is, is showing AJ Klein his leash. And the same goes with Worley and Taron Johnson, because Taron Johnson has struggled covering slot receivers this year, and teams are going to take notice once they get fully healthy. If you know they start to play at that same level or flirt with the same level as last year, teams are going to be looking for any weakness they can find. And right now, that has been against slot receivers. So... 
it's a it is a wake up call to both players. I don't know if I expect an immediate impact, um, particularly from from Worley. You can understand why <clears throat> why Darren Lee wasn't on a roster given his off the field problems, but Daryl Worley was cut by an already horrific defense. So you kind of start to worry about okay, does he does he have it? Is he going to be the next reclamation project here? Because it's it's still to be determined whether that strategy is working out with players like AJ Klein, with players like Josh Norman. Mario Addison's been fine, but I mean you're one for three there, and uh, it, it kind of makes you kind of makes you wonder a bit. But uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of trust within the organization with the from Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean with Daryl Worley. So uh, I, I think they expect him to come in here, take in that system, integrate himself into the locker room, and hopefully make an impact. Because I mean, let's face it, they just they need the depth right now at cornerback. John Brown didn't practice today. He practiced all last week. He was full goal. He played in the game, and then afterwards, you know, after we watched, you know, him kind of struggle out there a little bit. Josh Allen said, "Yeah, he's he's still dealing with it. He's still fighting through it." Doesn't practice today, putting his status for Sunday in, in doubt. And, you know, maybe he does come back and practice. Maybe he does play. But obviously that knee is still bothering him. We'll find out how much as the week goes goes on. But, you know, I know you know, Ryan knows, every week people are in our mentions about Duke Williams. And I'm wondering if John Brown's in a place where he really can't be effective, do you maybe consider, you know, in a game uh, of this magnitude, may and I know that they've done this before and went to the Duke Williams uh, card in a big game. Do you maybe see how he matches up with Stefan Diggs in a one-off against a really bad pass defense to add another dynamic? Because right now, I mean, Gabriel Davis, as good as he was early on, when John Brown hasn't been effective or hasn't been there, it seems like Gabriel Davis has struggled to kind of really ascend in that number two role. You know, the more I think about it, now that you bring it up, I, I could see Duke Williams – thriving in kind of a zone buster role. Uh, I don't, they try to slide him in as, as a go-to target, as a de facto number one receiver uh, in that Houston game. And he just wasn't beating defenders downfield. But as a short area possession receiver, I think he could maybe find some success there. His issue though is, can he shake free? Like, can he, can he keep defenders on their toes? Because separation has been his biggest issue, I think, uh, when he does actually get in into games. But, uh, you know, somebody has to step up because John Brown, even when he does try to tough through it, he's been he's been a non-factor. We got to call it what it is. He's been a non-factor statistically over the past three, four games. I mean, zero catches in multiple games. If it wasn't for that 21-yard screen at the end of the Patriots game, he would have had another goose egg on the board. And this offense just isn't the same when he is not a threat to make an impact. They need that out of him, or at least somebody. Um, big laundry list of a, an injury report today, and we're going to get into that. We got uh, banged up Bills, our guy Kyle Trimble coming up at the end to talk about some of those. But one thing I wanted to cover with you before we move on is the dynamic of this offensive line. We saw John Feliciano come in, uh, kind of, you know, really set the tone for this offensive line that at different times of the season has struggled. I think they've been a really good pass protecting unit all season for the most part, but that run game got going. You could tell that nastiness was back. I mean, John Fleece had him played so well that Ike Bucker had himself a nice little game. So I think that maybe he could be back in play, but we saw today uh, a limited practice from Cody Ford, which is a really great sign. I think with how well John Feliciano played, you are you have the luxury that you know you don't have to rush Mitch Morse back, who who may be in the third stage of 
of the concussion protocol of five. We'll get into that later. But I think John Feliciano, we've seen him over his career play really well in that center position. Yeah, and well, I don't think they can. Even if they wanted to, they they can't rush Mitch Morris back. That is uh, the concussion is is. It's not like a, a sprained ankle or, or or wrist. I'll let banged up bills get into it, but um, <laughs> they might not have they might not have a choice but to play John Feliciano at center. But if you can get him and you can get Cody Ford, those are the maulers of this offensive line. That that's where the energy, that's where the nastiness comes from, is those two. And uh, I think it's probably one thing that Buffalo is really disappointed that they haven't been able to see so far is having Cody Ford and having John Feliciano at guards, because I think with the way that Deion Dawkins has played with the way Darrell Williams is playing, they had the makings of a really good offensive line. And we just haven't been able to see that so far out of them. But uh, yeah, if you're the cop, if you're the type of guy who can slide into a position like center, that's, that's, that's your quarterback of the offensive line right there. If you can slide into an important position like that in your first game back, when you took, uh, what did Sean say? 0.0 snaps. In, in practice at that position uh, and you can go in there and you can make your teammates better. Uh, that is a invaluable quality in any player, not just an offensive lineman. So I think getting John Feliciano back, that's probably the best injury news that this team has had. I mean, all season and that's including Tremaine Edmonds and, and Matt Milano. You know, before they slid uh, John Feliciano over to the center, they had Ryan Bates in there for a little while, and he was pulled after one series where the Bills actually ran the ball really well, and there was some speculation that maybe it's because he wasn't used to taking those shotgun snaps. So with Mitch Morris in the concussion protocol, even if you are feeling really good about Feliciano at center, should the Bills start working with Bates on those shotgun snaps? Because it, you never know what's going to happen on a week-to-week basis in this league. I think that or I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I think it's probably best to hedge your bet there. And that's also a reason why Ryan Bates is on this roster. They love his position flexibility. He can play inside, he can play outside, and he can play center. So you've got to get him, you got to get him up to speed. I don't know if he has already been taking snaps at center prior to, to last week, but basically anybody who can should be because as of right now, Ryan Bates is your backup center, and he's got to be ready at the drop of the hat. All right. Um, we're moving right along. I see some comments in here about questions in uh, during the podcast. That's the beauty of, of live podcasting. If you have a question and I, and I like it, we will definitely answer it. Uh, or, you know, Ryan likes it. Um, so let's talk about this Patriots game and, you know, your biggest takeaway. I thought that you know, obviously the run game was was really good. I thought they did a good job against the run in the first half. Obviously, as the game wore on, uh, the Patriots got that thing going. But you knew that they – I, I kind of thought that they were going to do it because they are so one-dimensional as an offense right now. So I wasn't super surprised with that. But for, from your vantage point, 24-21, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? You know, there is a there's apparently a visible floor when it comes to this, this past defense. As much as it struggled – against Tennessee and, and in parts against Kansas City. Uh, you know, they haven't been torn apart by teams that they shouldn't be torn apart by. And I think that would have been time to break the glass and hit the panic button. If guys like offenses like Cam Newtons and, and the Patriots and the Jets, if they could have really effectively moved the ball through the air like that hot knife through butter, that's when you say, okay, there's a problem. Defense is broken. You know, trade everybody. Everything's up for grabs. So I, I think that they've hit their rock bottom as far as a pass defense goes, but uh, also just how real 
and and this might just be me being the new guy in the area, but how real I think the mental block is uh, that the Patriots represent. Man, there's no way on, there's no reason on paper that that should have been a 24 to 21 game. And it doesn't matter. I don't care what people are saying. I don't care. The biggest excuse, the biggest explanation seems to be it's the Patriots. And that kind of bolsters my point that these guys are, it's more than a, than a you know, on paper matchup. It's more than the X's and O's when it comes to this team. And so getting over that hump, I think it's so huge. It's so huge. And Sean McDermott, you know, he there's some there's been some cracks in his armor this year. You know, when he's let a little emotion out. And I appreciate that. Sean, if you see it, let it ha- let it out a little more, man. Everybody's gonna feel better. But uh, you know, he said he came out and said that he knows what this game means to the fans. He understands what this means. And that is the first time I think he has acknowledged the fact that when you play New England, it's not just another game. And so I think that you win that game. And if they beat the if they beat the Seahawks, if that is a critical two game win streak following or three game win streak, excuse me, following that two game slide where everybody was kind of shaken to their core as to how legit the start was. But I think that this could really be a turning point in the season as far as how far the Buffalo Bills can go. I want to talk about one more thing on the the Patriots, but let's get into Seattle because. Um, somebody uh, in the comment section, Jose, uh, asking about uh, this game. And to, honestly, like I feel like this game comes at a perfect time after this quarter of the season where this offense has struggled so much. The matchup, partly because of the matchup, because Seattle's past defense has been so bad, like you mentioned, but also the kind of game that it could be. And the teams that have had success this year against Seattle, you know, really only Arizona, have been the teams that could keep up with them in terms of the passing game and and going score for score for them. If you get seven or eight or nine possessions, you're going to need to score on most of them. And most of the time, it's going to have to be touchdowns. Josh Allen talked about that today. He said, listen, we got to move the chains. We got to convert on third down and we have to score touchdowns. And so I think that this is the kind of game that can maybe get them back to that Rams game where the offense was clicking and scoring and coming out early and asserting themselves and, and, and letting that momentum kind of guide them through the game. I think it comes down to Brian Dable to a, to a, I think there was a little bit of pressure on Brian Dable in this game, in this kind of setting. Um, and they got to get it going. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's time for, it's time for Dabes to start dressing again, man. And he's been a little conservative over the past few weeks, just because that's how the gameplay that's how that's how the game flows dictated. You know, when they're playing deep zone, you can't keep forcing the issue. But uh, I don't know if Seattle's got the horses outside of Jamal Adams to really keep up with anybody's passing attack. That's how it should. You could just you get the feeling that this is eventually going to be a shootout. It's eventually going to be what we all had, had hoped to watch on Monday Night Football with uh, with the Bills and the Chiefs. But the thing that you know the the recurring theme today, especially from Sean McDermott that is catching my attention. Um, the fact that they really want to keep the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. And it sounds like that's going to be a priority when it comes to building this game plan. So I wouldn't be shocked. I know the C- we, we discussed that the Seahawks defense, run defense, is one of the best in the league. I wouldn't be shocked if the Bills try to force the issue anyways, though. Just try to establish that run early on in the game and establish that ball control and, and control time of possession, win that battle, because it, you, you put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands too many times, you're going to get burned. Like This guy is probably the league's MVP right now. 
And they're averaging 35 points a game for a reason. And, uh, you know, so you got to do whatever it takes. And if that means winding play clocks down, if that means running ball when you can, short passes and staying in bounds, I don't know. I just early on, at least until it becomes clear that, okay, this is a shootout. We, we have to, we have to start taking shots. I just wouldn't be surprised if we saw a conservative ball control oriented offense out of Buffalo at the beginning of the game. And when the Seahawks are on the field, what's the best course of action for the Bills to slow them down, considering they have DK Metcalf on one side, Tyler Lockett on the other, and Buffalo's cornerback play has been quite the issue this year? Don't get beat deep. I think when you look at Tyler Lockett, you look at DK Metcalf, I mean, both of them are guys who, if you give them the ball, you know, with space around the line of scrimmage, they can make something happen. You saw that long touchdown run DK Metcalf had last week. But the, the fact remains, you can't get beat deep because if Russ is able to stretch the field, if they if he's got DK streaking and it turns into a jump ball situation, I don't know if there's anybody, not just on this roster, I don't think there's many people in the league who are beating that man in a jump ball. So, uh, you know, luckily they do have what I like to call a deep ball deterrent in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, if Micah Hyde is healthy enough to play, of course. But uh I think that they still have – they've got the personnel, especially if Levi Wallace is healthy. They have the personnel in the secondary to to kind of negate those deep passes and to game plan around it. I mean, we saw – that's really a bread and butter of the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And I don't know if they took any shots at all downfield other than that long third down play to kind of ice the game at the end there. But they didn't take any real shots to Tyreek Hill nor to Miko Hardman. So they've got the minds. They've got the horses to do it. We'll see if they can actually execute it because all it takes is one lapse in coverage, you know, one guy's eyes in the backfield a little bit too long as Russell scrambles and they can make you pay right right away. I think Levi Wallace is a guy that a lot of fans are going to have their eyes on this week because I think, you know, pressure's on on everybody in that secondary, but really the corners. You mentioned that DK uh, Metcalf run after the catch. If you don't tackle well against this team, they're going to absolutely destroy you. And that's one of the areas where I feel like the Bills have struggled, you know, the most. I and mean, we mentioned AJ Klein, but even Tremaine Edmonds at times, especially dealing with that shoulder, Matt Milano in the harness and, and not looking 100% when he's even out there. Um, well, one kind of interesting thing is I, I'm. I've been kind of tracking Delshawn Phillips to see when he's going to be ready to go. They obviously kept him around for a reason. They liked his special teams acumen, but he could be a guy that if they can activate him off injured reserve, I'd be interested to see what they get out of him because going back to last year when he spent the year on the practice squad, the coaching staff has told me different members have said, we really like what we were seeing in him and how quickly he learned the defense. Maybe that's a young guy, an athletic guy, a quick guy that you could throw out there, maybe change the, uh, the pace a little bit. You know what, and I'm going to throw another name out there because I just – I don't understand why he doesn't get more more, more play, more love, more respect. Saran Neal, mm-hmm. he is a special teams ace, but he's not a small guy at all. You saw him. He was able to line up against a guy like Travis Kelsey. He's quick. He's physical. He's fast. He's light, He's lanky, long, whatever. You know, I'm, I keep trying to blend the words in different ways, but you know what I'm getting at. I think the guy can make an impact if he gets the opportunity. The problem is he just hasn't really been getting an opportunity. And, you know, it's it's one of those situations where if you're banging your head against the brick wall and the wall ain't cracking, you got to try a new tool. And he might represent a new tool. I think he fits in the same mold as a guy like Dean Marlowe. 
But uh, you you got to come up with something because I think as of it, as it stands right now, AJ Klein on the field on a passing down is a it's an automatic first down for for that offense and that can't be. So uh, you, you got to start shuffling things around if it means going nor nickel if it means going dime even throw as many DBs on the field as you can. I mean get creative here do something different because this offense the Seahawks offense is gonna test you in about every way you can imagine and uh, there are gonna be plays. And fans are going to have to accept it. Bill's defense is going to have to accept it. There are going to be plays where you just – Russ makes it happen, and you're just going to sit back and say, what more could have possibly been done? This guy is that good. Mm. All right, we're, we're up against it here. We're going to get out of here. In about 60 seconds, I want to ask you one final question because, you know, we went into this thing and, uh, you know, talked a lot about our season expectations for the Bills. And I think we talked about this. Uh, right before the season on a show. And now that we're eight games in, you've seen the highs, you've seen the lows on both sides of the ball. Have you recalibrated your expectations or, at all? Or is what you thought this team should be still there eight weeks into the season? Um, that's. I feel like my expectations for this team have been, it's been a roller coaster, but the lows have been, haven't been as drastic as the highs, if that makes sense. I thought mm-hmm. this was a playoff team. I thought this was a division championship team. Neither of those expectations have changed. But after those first, we'll call it three games of the year, maybe maybe we'll give them four, four games of the year. I thought this was a team that could compete for a Super Bowl. I, I mean, nothing that we had seen had shown us otherwise. An explosive offense, a defense that struggled, but, you know, wasn't so catastrophic that it was losing them games. Uh, obviously, I think those, I think that has quelled off a little bit. Um, I still think they could maybe... It depends on how how the playoff seating lines up, but they can win a playoff game. And if they win a playoff game, then they can make it to the conference championship round and then anything can happen. But I'm not as bullish on them competing for a Super Bowl as I think I once was. Obviously, a lot of time for that to change, but just need to see more from this defense, because if they show even just a shade of what they were last season, I mean, could you imagine the last year's defense with this year's offense? That's a... It's a scary sight, and I don't think people want to hear that about Buffalo right now. Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, my friend. Thank you so much. I'll probably see you at the office, spot coffee in the morning after we uh, <laughs> check in. Uh, we, we turn that into our little uh, – our humble uh, home away from home. That's it. I'm, I'm about ready for them to, to welcome me in, to welcome us in. Like, I want I want them to say, you know, hey, you want the usual here. Like, it's been enough times. I feel like, you know, I, I go to uh, I go to Remedy House down here. And they know who I am by now just because I go there so much that they got the breakfast sandwich waiting when I pull the car up. So, it's, you know, I feel like we're, we're getting to that point here at Spot Coffee that, you know, they can have our they can have our iced coffee and a water and breakfast wrap just ready to go. Sean's a big Spot Coffee guy, too. So we'll have to ask him on Friday if he if they know his order and we'll have to just take it up with management. All right, brother. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Later, man. All right, we're going to get to our next guest, Jerry Sullivan, in one moment here. But we are first going to do a word from our sponsor. Ready for football? Tops is. With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. All right, we got him off the golf course. Yeah. Jerry Sullivan, my man, how are you? I'm pretty good. Struggle today. Uh, courses are playing longer. And for old guys, well, you don't need to hear me complain. 
No roll. Spend half the day cleaning dirt off my ball. Good to see Marcel on there, by the way. Yes, he is. Uh, he is an elite member of the Buffalo media, and you know, contrary to popular belief, I would say that you are as well, sir. And I'm so thankful for you uh, joining us, taking a little time tonight. First things first, let's get to the real business. Did you accept my trade offer yet in the fantasy league? I don't. You haven't resubmitted it, have you? I did. I resubmitted it. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath here all afternoon. Wait, I, you know me. I'm not exactly Mister Technology. I, I did not see a, a renewed uh, offer with Jackson in it because I'm ready to accept that. All right, beautiful. Uh, you know, Rod whining and then Joe B. <laughs> Joe B. Took it to me. I needed a big. I needed a big day from Mike Evans and Tom Brady yesterday. They didn't give it to me, so now I'm moving on from Mike Evans. And, and we yeah, got I'm ready, I'm to, ready to take her, take him off your hands. Consider I'm being offered a fulgum. Uh, Javad's making him out to be the next Lance Allworth. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Lance Allworth. I'm sure I remember him. Chargers, right? A lot show my age, but I, I think uh, having been around, having fought with Thurman Thomas and and Polian and those people, I still have a, a something to add. You know, something to contribute here, and it's it's good to be a little bit relevant. And that's why I appreciate you having me on here. You know, I I tweet at, off the games. I write the column once a week for the. Uh, to the Gazette, and um, hey, you know, I think be alive. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about this in a minute um, because, like, I, I think that in 2020 we've really lost, you know, uh, uh, an understanding of what you know journalism roles are. You know what I mean? Traditional journalism roles: the beat reporter, the columnist. They've all kind of meshed together, and I think that you know, for you, I, I think that there's like a a, a, a a portion of social media. And we used to talk about this all the time. The Jeremy Sullivan show on 1270 every day. I, I got to be on it every, every Wednesday. It was a real highlight of my week and I enjoyed our conversations. And I think people need more of that side of you because the, the daily just, you know, discussion and, and, and conversation that you generate, I think I appreciate it, but let's start before we get to that. Let's get to this tweet during the Jets game. Oh, that's, that's why I want, that's where I want to start right. off. So, what did you say during the Jets game? I think early in that game, Darnold threw like his only good pass of the day. And I and I, I believe I said, I've been saying from the start, Darnold's a better passer than Josh Allen. And he showed it there. So I, I guess, you know, people crushing me for that. And look, Twitter, I've learned, I've been on it nine years. There are times you overreact. And I've been saying for years that the NFL invites overreaction. Um, however... There are times where I think that a lot of people are better pure passers than Josh Allen. I don't think that he's perceived by a lot of people as a great pure passer. Now, Darnold's his own special, uh, you know, pot of mess or whatever you want to call it in that situation. But I still think Darnold ha has a chance. But am I was I saying that that he's a better football player than Josh Allen? No. I mean, I've written said things, said on my radio show. Um, you know, Josh Allen's a different model of NFL quarterback. The, the the standard for the NFL quarterback has changed, and he's part of that. You know, do I think Darnold at times looks like a better pure passer than Lamar Jackson? Probably. But he still stinks. Anyway, but I was glad to – I like – I don't consciously troll people. I didn't even know what that meant for a while. I'm pretty ignorant about stuff. But I guess that that qualifies. Sometimes I'll st say stuff, and people think Sully's just trying to get us all pissed off. And I'm glad to provide that service, frankly. <laughs> so, what do you think about Josh Allen now in year three, though, in terms of his development as a passer? I think he's developed. I think 
like a lot of quarterbacks, when you surround him with with three really good receivers and four, it looked like earlier, it it becomes easier. But we we know his footwork is better. Uh, he's become more accurate on the short throws. But he he's just such a he's just such a circus. We all know that. I mean, he'll do crazy stuff and he'll suddenly become inaccurate after the great first four weeks. In the last four weeks, he's like second only to Darnold, I think, and lowest percentage on passes thrown 10 or more yards down the field. Suddenly he's not doing it. So that, that it's maddening. I said after four weeks, and again, I admit all the time in my writing about how you overreact in the NFL is one game a week. I said they could win this, they could get to the Super Bowl, I think. They're 4-0, and it was based largely on the fact that I, I know what it was like in the Super Bowl era. They were 27th in defense a couple of times and got to the Super Bowl. Because if you have a great offense and you can score 30 points a game, you can make up for defensive deficiencies. And that model that they were used under Polian is even more relevant today. So after four weeks, it looks like, hey, they fit the model, even though the defense isn't that good. Now, four weeks later, the defense looks worse, and Allen's kind of regressed a little bit. I don't even remember what your question was, but I think you can win with Josh Allen but I have questions about him. I mean, I have questions about McDermott, too, frankly. I mean, yep, win a playoff game. And Marcel was saying he thinks they can win a playoff game. We could have a whole discussion on the standard. Where is the standard? That's, Matt, I, I appreciate you talking about, you know, why it's important to have truly critical, uh, you know, sports writers. But part of what I've been trying to do, and Bucky used to do it, too, is, like, raise the standard. You know, like the other day, I I was not jumping up and down about beating the Patriots. I understand the emotional, moral significance of beating that team. But you just did it after Brady left, after 20 years of that. It's like, it's a little late, I think. Yeah, has is, is the torch been passed? Maybe. But the Patriots aren't the standard anymore, people. The standard is in Baltimore. It's going to be in the, the charges if Herbert is really this good. What if, what if Tua is good? Kansas City, you, you've got to win the division, obviously, but what is the real goal here? To be better than the Patriots? I don't know. You know I'll ramble if you let me. But No, uh, I know. I'm letting you go. There's a lot there to unpack, as we say. I've just been dealing with this election. I'm a little crazy right now. That's okay. And we're not talking any election on here. No, because this is, this, yeah, we want to get away from that. We want to, we want to put the stress of all a, that release. away. Okay, to your point, I, I agree to uh, an extent that raise the standard. I like that idea. And I think that, that going into this season, I talked a lot about that. Like my expectations aren't for the 2019 version of this team. It's for an elevated version of this, of this team. I think that if they put the pieces around Josh Allen the way that they have and how they performed early in this year, there should be a standard expectation that's different than the last 20 years. But I think that – it's nuanced. I think you also have to put into a pot of what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have accomplished in the three years that they've been here. Two playoff appearances in three years after the absolute torture of the last two decades. You righted the ship, and I think that that in its own right deserves some level of trust moving forward. Do they have to move away from this really um, – interesting Carolina obsession with this pipeline. I think they do. I wouldn't have signed Worley. I would have been aggressive and tried to get, 
trade a fifth round pick for Desmond King and maybe see if you can bring in a, a, a higher level of talent. I understand the importance of getting guys in here that know your system in a year like this, especially in a year like this. But what we've seen from a few of these guys, Vernon Butler getting, you know, he's been banged up, but, you know, slow to assume the role that I think they had envisioned for him. Josh Norman has had a few moments, but really has been underwhelming when he's been healthy. I think the real, the one guy that's come in here from the Carolina connection and has been everything that they advertised him to be was, was Mario Addison. So to your point, I agree with that, but I also think there, there should be some credit given considering how bad this has been for years. Okay. Give him credit. But part of the credit for me was that they they were competent people. People that when the cycle comes around, get a roster together that is capable of making the playoffs, which everyone does at some point. The question, I you know, I, I'd be worried if I was a fan right now that this thing will cycle out quickly. And the cycles do go in the NFL four or five years. The amazing thing is that the cycle came around three or four times in 17 years and never once did they catch it and win and make the playoffs. What I'm saying is that this thing could start to get a little dicey very quickly. And two things that, that would worry me is that Ed Oliver and Tremaine Edmonds look like overrated players right now. Now, you know how this league is. There's going to come a time very soon, and Allen is at the front of the line now, where you start paying people. And when guys like that are no longer value players, as I call them in their first contracts, and guys have gotten paid, White has been paid, now where is this team going to be in two years? And could they just cycle back to being an average team? And then, you know, sure, being a McDermott, we're, we're good. But, but the perspective is, how good? And how good are the young players on this team, really? Yeah, no. You think Tremaine Edmonds is, is, is going to be a, a, a perennial pro bowler? You think Ed Oliver is top half of the league at his position right now? No, and but I, I also think that there's AFC quarterbacks. I'm not sure Al would go top six. Ooh, so that's then I playing the skeptic. I would take Someone Josh Allen. I would take Josh Allen. You want to draft quarterbacks? I'd put Herbert ahead of him right now if I was starting right now. I'm sure. I'll, I think he's going to be a better quarterback than Josh Allen. I'll start with him. Then you Lamar Jackson. Then Mahomes. I still think Watson's better. And you better help Tua isn't great. All right. I would, I take Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson. He's had a better season so far. They're and very, he, very similar seasons. And, and, and Lamar Jackson has been, we've talked about this on your show. He's not done anything in the playoffs yet. And well, he's been really Allen. bad in the playoffs. And that's, I mean, really, there's only one guy in this league, maybe, you know, Deshaun Watson, you can put him into the mix in the AFC that has been that standard bearer where week in and week out, even the bad games are still good. And that's Patrick Mahomes. Everybody else, I'm still waiting for the tape to come around on Justin Herbert. I remember, like, people forget about Justin Herbert. He was the consensus number one pick going into last year's college football season. And then the Tua stuff happened. Joe Burrow had the year that he's had. And, and to your point, I do think that Herbert and Burrow are looking like, you know, right at this point, I mean, they're looking like hits. They're looking like, you know, uh, slam dunks that they're going to be good. But I think that we've also seen from Josh Allen now what I like about Josh is that he is the modern version of the quarterback. Now he can do both things. What I want to see from him is it become more natural attacking teams with both versions of himself. I feel like he's either got it going, throwing the ball, or he's got it going, running the ball. I want to see those two things sync up. And that's partly on Brian Dable too, I think as well. And I think he's, I think he's still going to get better. And I, I will 
I will agree. And I went, you know, I lived through the Kelly era when people want to run them out of town that in your, the guy in your own town, you tend to be the most critical of that. That's, mm. that's natural. Although fans on the other hand, tend to be more forgiving, but if you're watching Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, you've got a lot of these same questions that while he's the new model of the quarterback, is he a good enough passer? And is, can he win playoff games? Same questions. And I, yeah, sure. We don't know if Herbert or Burrow, uh, if they're going to be able to win playoff games and get better. So, you know, the, the track that Allen is on has been moving up pretty steadily. That's why the last three, four weeks have been a little, I mean, he hasn't been bad. A lot of this has been circumstantial, and they did run the ball well the other day, but he's he slipped back a little bit. But look at, look at the standard. Maybe the mistake, and I made it after four weeks. 31 points a game. There, there he is. He's the Peyton Manning type quarterback that you didn't need a you didn't even need a good defense to win with him. That's four games. Peyton Manning, Brady, Rodgers, those guys did it for 10 years. So maybe it's like, wait a minute, give him time. Maybe next year. Or later this year, he's able to do it more consistently. But, I, I, you know, give him time. You can overreact to the good and the bad, I guess is what I'm saying. When you have Josh Allen, who gives you so much, such a wide array of good and bad, how do you not overreact? You know, but it's also, he makes it fun, does he not? Sorry, I'm losing my voice. No, I agree. No, yeah, he, he has made it fun. Going back to something you said about expectations, what is the bare minimum that you would consider this season to be a success? Is it win the AFC East and the playoff game? Uh, is it just get, in, get into the playoffs and win a game, or does it have to be a combination of the two? I'd say win a playoff game. I mean, I, I it's hard to see them not winning the AFC East. So I guess if they fall to 9-7 and seven and the Dolphins pass them and then they win as a wild card, would that be considered success? I, I think you have to win in the playoffs, and I, I think McDermott needs it too. And I think it was a Matt Fairburn, Fern, Fairburn looked it up. <clears throat> of every head coach in the league who was hired before him or the same year, he's the only one who hasn't won a playoff game. Now, it's a somewhat esoteric stat, but on the other hand, win, win a playoff game. He did, not, he did not distinguish himself in that Houston game last year, and neither did the quarterback. It, it was to me. It was almost like the first playoff game. The first playoff team was a total fluke. It was the worst offensive. It was the worst statistical playoff team in NFL history. I think you could you could prove that if you took time. Hmm. I give him credit, and I give McDermott a lot of credit. And that's where I would have hope right now about this team because it seems he and Frazier, at some horrific defensive moments, pulled it together for this team. They know how to coach defense, and I guess fans better hope. That's the case because if this defense keeps playing like this, they're gonna they're gonna get run over by a lot of teams. When you're sitting at the bar, you know, and I'm and I'm talking to the audience at this point, and you got a couple guys to your left, couple you know guys, girls, whoever you're watching the game with, and you know somebody likes a a team, somebody likes a player, whatever. You start talking during the game, exchanging uh, unpleasantries as it can go. Just think Jerry Sullivan of one is one of those guys at the bar. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about you is that, you know, while you do, you did mention trolling and all that kind of stuff, you're, you're always willing to, you know, have a good laugh about it and have a, uh, an exchange with a fan. It, I think one of the things we do, and this is societal too, but we have this overreaction in like, nobody can question anything if it disagrees or if it's different than what we think. And I think that that's just, it's not a good way to, you know, have discourse and arrive 
at you know the point of conversation in, in, in to begin with is to share ideas and to share different and yeah i get it sometimes it can be overwhelming to see over and over again seeming like negative takes and but i think that sometimes that's the only takes you're looking at so i wanted to bring jerry on here because i haven't seen him in a while and wanted to say hi and i actually going back to my you know journalism roots always read jerry you know as a bills fan growing up i always thought that you know there was a level of you know truth seeking to his reporting that you know he held people responsible and this is going back to the super bowl years when you want to talk about expectations and standards everything was elevated in that time and and you needed that in, in that time more than you know now this is almost like a, a newborn baby that is still learning the, to, to step for the first time that's what the bills mafia is this bills this version of bills mafia has never had sustained playoff success so it's just a different thing but i, I just think i wanted to bring you on because i think more pe people should give you a chance yeah i would go back to your comment about at the bar which i haven't been able to be at the bar much lately because mm -hmm. when they're open i get a little nervous i'm older but i always often said i i thought of myself as kind of a focus around which people could you know form their own opinions uh, through me like because i'm paid to have opinions i you know i spend more time looking up pro football reference or records or or i'm paid to have opinions that are informed about the bills and sports and then i like to think some guy would go to a bar and sometimes repeat my opinions or question was hey did you hear sully said this and then they could have their discussion that that's that's a healthy thing and if they hated me for something i said that that's fine too but i like to think i was you know i like i wrote and i commentated for the good fans who, who wanted that i grew up in in boston you would go to boston list of the radio and you would think all the teams, you would think all our teams suck. They're talking about, <laughs> I go there and they're talking about the Patriots and the Red Sox and they're calling up and trade this guy, ripping this guy. I go, what? This is like in Buffalo, they're like praising the team and they're four and eight. It's like, it's like backwards, but they had a different, they had a different standard. And people, I'm not saying the fans are better in, in the Boston area, but they, they seem more able to handle, you know, the critical aspect of it. And that's that that's fun. Now, I, look, I and, know, you know, there's I, a difference, too, I will say, because, you know, we are both you've spent a lot of time here. I grew up here. There is a sense of people just bagging on Buffalo. And I think that that kind of goes plays into that whole thing. It's this constant defense mechanism that comes out and it, it, it goes further than sports. I mean, I think people, you know, goes to the Tom Brady stuff. One of the reasons why Tom Brady is so, um, you know, <laughs> hated in this town is because of the you know some of the slights that people perceived over the years and so i think that's why it's like all right we take all this hate for the city why do we got to take this hate on the team too we know they've been bad for 17 years and so i think that's where at least where it comes from a little bit yeah i think that made it a little tougher for me to come in here coming uh, boston uh you know rhode island new england background and having been in new york city you know, clashing with Rick Patino and, and the like, and then coming into Buffalo and like, whoa, who's this guy? And I just, it just seemed second nature to me uh, to do those type of things. Um, I do remember when a guy named Chuck Dickerson came on the radio in Buffalo. I don't know if you guys mm, remember him. I do. And he was killing the bills. And I told people, you know, people in this time have been waiting for years for someone to just come in and start laying people out. And it was almost a Trumpian type thing. Like he became a cult, but like I thought there was a bit of a of an opening in Buffalo for for real critical sports writing. Um, but I, you know, I, I thought yeah, it was a little soft in town at that point. So here I walk into the four Super Bowl teams 
I remember Polian wanted to kill me and uh, half the players at times. But I, you know, the standard was higher. And when they had a team that, uh, again, they had some bad defenses, they had some bad secondaries, um, the no punt game. I mean, they get shredded. And I wrote that one of the cornerbacks couldn't cover a saucepan. This is a famous, <laughs> funny story. So I hear a couple of days later, Vic Carucci calls me and goes, you know what? <laughs> I was in the shower and my wife calls me out and says, it's Bill Polian on the phone. And he, he's funny when he describes it. He's dripping wet. He gets the phone and he goes, and Polian starts yelling at you about that saucepan thing. I said, well, Bill, why don't you call him? But so that's right in the middle of going to four Super Bowls. So, but they deserve, they deserve the criticism and, you know, it's, it's all relative. Uh, even when you're good, there's probably some things you could do better. I used to criticize Polian for not making the moves necessary to make that defense better. And maybe they would have won a Super Bowl if, if he'd done a little more. Um, so, I, again, I think a good fan always wants their team and their management to make the team better. And we could talk about what happened and didn't happen yesterday. They didn't make this team better. So is your, is your sports columnist, uh, you know, a raving maniac because he criticizes them when they're good for not being better. I'll tell you what is real easy for 17 years to criticize them because they sucked every year. <laughs> All right. So we got to wrap this up. We're going to get you back on again. We'll talk more oh. about this team this season. Um, follow him on Twitter at by Jerry Sullivan. Give him a follow. Give the relationship a little chance and, and room to grow. I think you'll be surprised. Uh, shout out in the comments. Have you so done kind. the re have you done the Rico report from for Buffalo Fanatics? Rico, uh, have you have you done his show yet? I have not done his show. That's that's the show I want to see. I want to see Rico and Jerry get down. Uh, he said he's a big fan. He said you always keep it real. Really? So I'm making a connection here. Rico, Jerry Sullivan. I want to see that on the Rico report one of these weeks. I think that'll be hey, hey, fire I, I stuff. Love, I'm an open book, as I said. I love I love doing this stuff. I I love still being relevant, and I'm very happy to see you doing this and having ads. You know, mm. what a concept. We're we're all over the place, man. This uh, it's always uh, it's a uh, we started back in April and it's evolving week to week. Tonight, you know, we've been trying to do more of these shows where it's segments, and so I hate to rush out of here. But Jerry Sullivan, my friend, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I, you're welcome. All right, all right. So by the way, go Mavs. All right, so we're going to move right along here. We're going to get our next guest in here because we're cruising. Um, we got a full show tonight. Kyle Trimble. My friend from Buffalo Rumblings does some stuff for Cover One as well. Uh, you can find him at Banged Up Bills on Twitter. He is the injury guy. That's what I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you the injury guy, but you're so much more. Uh, I've enjoyed a couple beers with you at a few events that we've seen each other at. So it's good to have you on the show and talk a little bit. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm real excited to be here. Oh, well, we're excited to have you because, honestly, Ryan, I don't think we could have had a, a better week day episode to have Kyle on because of how much is going on. Why don't you take over here a little bit with, uh, you know, Mitch Morse and, and what the bills are dealing with. Yeah. First and foremost, the, the injury report right now is a little bit of a laundry list, but let's start right at the top. Mitch Morse uh, concussion protocol. How concerned should the bills mafia be about this uh, in terms of it being, you know, this is obviously not his first concussion. They should also be concerned because this is his now fifth documented concussion. There's possibility he could have had more at some point, but from what we could find in public reports and from the NFL, even go back to the NCAA, this is when this, we know now he has five concussions. 
So we know that the more concussions you have, the greater risk you're going to have with future concussions. That's what they found with uh, different literature, including um, an article from 2003 that I had published in my most recent article up at uh, bangedupbills.com. So we know that once you have one concussion, that increases your risk and kind of has a, a um, tidal effect, if you will. You just see more and more happen, but it's not uh, linear where you can see it go all the way up there. So they're obviously concerned. But we did see him out of practice today. Now, he was off to the sidelines. He was working with the trainers. That tells me he's at least at stage two, which stage two says you're at least back at baseline, which is a good sign from him. Uh, we saw last year when he suffered his concussion in pre the preseason, he was out for the entire month and that he was even close to coming back. Now, we knew that while you're in concussion protocol, you don't have to speak to the media. And they knew with his previous concussion history that they didn't want to rush things at all. So, I question at the time whether they were trying to stretch things out to make sure, hey, we'll make sure he's ready for the regular season and we don't want him getting peppered by the media constantly. But the fact that he's out there, you know, three days after this hit that took him out after three plays and he's at least working off on the sidelines is a good thing. I don't know that he's going to play on Sunday based off of that. We see concussions on average take about 10 days to return. However, the fact that he's out there and he's not hidden away in the team facility is an excellent sign. Let's switch up to the defensive side of the ball for a minute here. And uh, great stuff on Mitch. Uh, and, and I think that they're, you know, I was talking about, a little bit about it with Marcel. They're in a situation right now with how well John Feliciano played that I would just, I would err on the side of caution and take your time with Mitch. But on the other side of the ball, you know, they have Mitch or uh, Matt Milano back in the mix. He's played the last two games, 19 snaps against the Jets, 15 again uh, last week against the Patriots. He's on a pitch count. He's wearing a harness. I, I tweeted out uh, something, uh, an observation that I had on, on the one tackle where he kind of got spun around. It looked like he couldn't get his arm up. I thought it might be because of how it feels, but you corrected it and basically said it's probably because of the harness that he's wearing. He's not able to get the full range of motion. And I thought that's that's a good, you know, thing to do or to correct because how long do you think he's going to have to wear that harness because i think that that's maybe impacting his play just in the sense that he has to wear that and be restricted from that position it's hard to say because we don't know how severe the terror is obviously it's not severe enough that it requires surgery so let's keep that in mind but he's now you know a, a month out from the injury grade twos can take three to six weeks sometimes longer based on what the literature says that could also change if he has a re-injury to the area or if he's just not feeling right, he still wants to protect the area. So ideally you'd want to sit out and make sure you're hundred percent, but that's just not how the NFL is. And those guys want to get back out there and play. And, and you mentioned John Feliciano earlier. He wanted to be back in week four, you know, uh, 10 weeks out from his injury and the training staff had to put the brakes on him and say, Hey, you're going to wait until you're fully ready. And even then he's still wearing a shoulder harness. So going back to Milano, we don't know how long he's going to wear it because they might say, let's just make sure you protect this and get through to the end of the season and you're ready for the playoffs. Because last thing you want to do is saying, hey, I'm good to go. I'm ready. And then he tries to tackle another guy and uh, being unlucky, he injures the shoulder again or excuse me, the, the, the chest again. So I can see him ditching it after the bye week. However, I could also see him saying, let's not mess around with this. You're in contract year. Wear that sucker until you know you're 100% healthy and that you can play effectively without it. You kind of answered the follow-up here. Uh, 
Would the Bills be better off holding him out until the bye week or even longer if, if that meant having him hit 100% late in the regular season than obviously potentially for a playoff game? Or do you think that this current approach is safe enough as is? I think the current approach is safe as is. Uh, I went through the literature and looked, and the article's up at Buffalo Rumblings, if you want to read my reasoning behind that. Uh, they mentioned him week to week. We know that when Sean McDermott says that, they're looking at one to two weeks, potentially more for those injuries. And the literature supported that he would be out for at least two weeks, which he was, but we still see him just not coming back 100%. Sure, you always want to keep him out, but like I said, they always want to get back out there and play. They want to earn their keep, and he's going to want to show why he's out there. So, yeah, hindsight, you probably would have said about maybe a game or two longer, but, you know, it's just like trying to hold back a rabid dog. Eventually, they're going to break free and get out and do what they need to do. So then you mentioned the, the the pitch count there, too. I went back and looked right before I came on. There was a thing about 12 third-down plays that the Patriots had, and we want to see him play more in pass coverage because he can get out there and maybe knock a guy out of bounds, or maybe he can get assistance with a tackle. But when we saw the Rex Burkhead, and he tried squaring up with him, and he got beat badly because Burkhead just juked around him, and he just – didn't have the range of motion available on the right arm to even get out because the strap restricted him. That's why he's on the pitch count. It's not that he can't tackle anybody. It's just because those kind of injuries was how he injured everything in the first place with Josh Jacobs. He tried scoring up with him. Jacobs went around him and the uh, injury occurred because the arm was contracting. Jacobs was going the other way. It puts the muscle into eccentric attraction, which is lengthening the muscle under tension, causing the strain in the first place. So they want to avoid those scenarios again, and playing in pass coverage allows him to be effective and have coverage, but less likely to be forced in that position where he can suffer re-injury. Okay, I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm going to switch on now to uh, Vernon Butler. Okay. Obviously, the Bills have been missing him a little bit. Uh, groin injury. He was he was out there today in a limited capacity. You know what's the timeline there with Vernon Butler in terms of getting him back out there on that defensive line? The timeline it, it's hard to say because we didn't really see when he injured it in the Jets game. I, that's that's probably one of the frustrating things with some of these injuries. They pop up on the Wednesday injury report. And I'm thinking, wait, when did this happen? Because you look at the snap counts and they rotate in and out. So it's sometimes not that definitive point said this is what happens or this is when it happened and we can kind of gauge on how severe it was so the fact that he's practicing limited today is usually a good sign you could potentially see him set another week if he's limited the rest of the week and be questionable on uh, friday but there's potential that he could come back too the problem with the groin injuries and this goes for really any position is that groin is going to be vital for pretty much every hip function there's parts of the groin that help you with hip flexion you know moving forward running sprinting uh, there's other parts that really help you with driving your leg forward. So if he's trying to engage his block or shed it, he's pushing forward. There's that lateral movement going side to side. Um, there's that lateral medial rotation. So let's say you have to turn and pivot. You know, the running back's coming uh, in that running lane against you. You have to make sure you turn quickly. So if he doesn't have that groin fully functioning, and depending on which side it's going on, they could target that way. Say, hey, we're gonna you know run between the garden center on the left side, knowing that Butler can't get out there quick enough because he's going to be a step slow. Well, he wants to make sure he's fully healthy with that in order to get back. So I wish I could give you a more definitive timeline, but <laughs> that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, try to uh, parse that along. I could see him maybe missing another game, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did come back. And we just have to kind of see how the practice schedule goes in order to give us a better idea. 
That sounds good. Um, it was a pretty big laundry list that you mentioned uh, when the injury report came out. You were like, oh, man, I got my work cut out for me this week. And, you know, again, like you mentioned, Thursday's a big day. We'll, we'll learn more tomorrow, and then we'll see who's actually still out of practice on Friday. Um, but let me let me ask you this. From what you saw of the guys that we have not talked about yet, who, where where's your biggest concern lie on the rest of this injury report? <sighs> How much time do we have here? I mean, <laughs> you know, but, uh, 30, but, but seconds, no, 30, 30 seconds there. Uh, you know, looking back at the injury list here, it just, I, I can't even quite say what's going on here. I mean, looking at everything here, you know, we, we mentioned Brown. Everybody's getting a lot of questions about him. I think he just continued to be banged up, but he's been practicing in full. He's off today, but I'd lean toward him still playing. He just has a lot of little injuries that are accumulating up over time. Yeah, look at some other ones. Cody Ford is going to be a big one to watch because it looked like he suffered an MCL sprain um, two weeks ago and he's been out. I thought they would have moved him to IR because he was dealing with a groin. He was dealing with what looked like a shoulder and elbow injuries at some point too because of the bracing. And the fact that they didn't put him on there says that he wasn't as injured as uh, as I thought he was. But I want to see him go back up to a full practice before he comes back. Um, you know, Look at some of the other ones. Quentin Jefferson, he's getting older. He has a knee. Um, I'm curious about TJ Yelton because he doesn't play a whole lot, but he has a back injury, but that's kind of just more curiosity. Um, I think we cover most of the big ones. I would do want to see Josh Norman come back. It just seems like he can't get over that hamstring strain. I don't know whether they tried rushing him back the first time he finally got healthy. And then, you know, he did something again, just restart the whole process, but that cornerback two position, just constant revolving door. I want to see them lock it down and say, Hey, here's something. And we're going to stick with this. And, you know, secure up the, the secondary and actually um, make it better than what it is right now because it's just – it's not good. So there's, like I said, a ton of other stuff we can cover, but those are the big ones I'm concerned about. And then Micah Hyde maybe. Uh, I want to see a full practice out of him so that we can see that he can get back there because obviously he's a huge uh, piece that we need in order to uh, you know, hold down the Seattle offense. Kyle Trimble. You can find him on Twitter at banged up bills. He is always on the prowl for any type of injury tidbits that he can share with all of you. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us, man. We'll, we'll get you on again soon. All right, Matt Ryan. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Take care. You too. All right. So we're moving right along here. Uh, we are going to take a few more questions, Ryan, uh, because, and if you hear any laughing in the background, I apologize. My son's up a little bit late. He he earned a little award uh, at school today, so we're we're giving him a uh, a treat. He's watching Home Alone. Uh, we're a big Christmas household. If you didn't know, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I tweeted today. I was rocking some Christmas music all the way down to the stadium. Uh, we got the the Christmas movies going on. He's watching Home Alone. He's losing his stuff over there. He's laughing his little behind off. So apologies. There's a couple questions. If you guys have any more questions, hit us up. There was one that I saw on Facebook that I want to make sure to get. I said we were going to get it at the end of the show. And I also thought it was kind of an interesting one because, you know, going into the season, Ryan, I, th I think that uh, yeah, he's pumped up right now. And he's tired, so he's going a little extra hard. Going into the season, I think we had some expectations for this tight end room, you know, in terms of how they can get involved expectations combined with some question marks like okay you add all of these pieces how do you now integrate the tight end position with all of these weapons an increased run game uh you know uh, load for zach moss like last year was singletary pop and that was great but you didn't have to give the ball a whole ton to, to frank gore now i almost feel like you have a lot of miles to feed more than ever 
how do you get the tight end position more involved in the passing game? And do they need to do that to be a more balanced offense? You know, I, I think it would be better off if they could, but the, the problem is, is just the tight end room in general. Dawson Knox has a lot of potential, uh, but we, we've seen this so many times in the NFL, not just with the Bills. Potential doesn't always develop into reliability, and, and he still could end up being a, a great tight end. Do not get me wrong, but maybe expectations were a little bit too high here in year two. He wasn't utilized much in college. He was a raw athlete kind of coming out of Ole Miss. Uh, the Bills obviously loved what he did at the Combine, loved how he tested off the charts, liked how he fit in onto this team. But we, we, we've we seen flashes, but we have not seen sustained high-quality play from him. And, and hopefully that comes with time when he comes back, when he's out there on the field again. Uh, but I, I am going to say that maybe our expectations are a little high for him. And part of that problem, too, was Josh Allen this offseason saying, you know, I think he's going to be a top 10 tight end in this league when he when he appeared on Mark Sanchez's podcast. He, he went as far as to say that. And, yeah, that's one teammate saying that about another. But uh, I think that a lot of fans thought, well, if, if you have John Brown and Stefan Diggs out there, you're going to have Dawson Knox in the middle of that field running free with that athleticism. But we, we still haven't seen enough there. Tyler Croft is reliable, and it's good to have a reliable target. You can throw him the ball four to five times. He's going to usually catch it four to five times. Uh, but he might not do anything too flashy with it. Reggie Gilliam, uh, he's a little bit of an unknown. He's kind of a, a half uh, fullback, uh, tight end hybrid. And then you have Lee Smith. When Lee Smith plays, you know he, he's essentially an extra offensive lineman. So I, I think it would be nice to utilize the tight end room more. I think that's why a lot of fans are saying, hey, let's get Evan Ingram, Ingram in here at the trade deadline because even though he's also been inconsistent with, throughout his career, there's been more flashes. There's been more hits there. So I, I get it, but I just don't know if maybe right now we have the personnel to make that more of a uh, prominent role for this team in 2020. Uh, all right, I want to run through a couple of these here quickly, and then I'll bring up this one that I see at the bottom for both of us to discuss. Um, somebody mentions on YouTube, uh, when are you going to get Ty Dunn in? You know, we've been working on that. Uh, we had some scheduling conflicts and actually I was going to reach out to him about tonight. Jerry got back to me, so we didn't make that work. I'm hoping to get him on at some point. Uh, Tyler is a, uh, you know, a beacon of knowledge when it comes to the NFL. So getting him on here to talk, not only bills, but NFL will be great. We're still working on that. Don't give up. We'll, we'll get Ty done in here this season at some point. Cody four coming back. He was at practice today. He was limited. That's a big update for that offensive line, especially if Mitch Morse needs to miss some time. If they can get Cody Ford back in the mix, maybe that'll allow you to uh, bench Brian Winters, who played better last week, playing next to, to John Feliciano. But I think that, you know, obviously they want to continue to get, you know, reps and games for Cody Ford. So we'll see if he can return this week. John Brown, when will you be fully healthy? You know, that's anybody's guess at this point. Um, do we sign Poe, Don Terry Poe, who the Dallas Cowboys released? He's taking some time off. We mentioned this on the podcast a few times. Uh, he's going to kind of you know, get back to the drawing board, get his body right, and then maybe uh, he could be an option, late season option for a team. All right, home alone is a classic. You're darn, you're darn right. The Bills seem to struggle setting the edge this year. Ryan, has it been a defensive end issue or a linebacker issue? Ah, uh, in, in a few of the games that I've seen, I thought it was a def defensive end issue where maybe they were they were trying to cave the pocket. They were using some spin moves, and, and once they sold out and, and went on the inside, that freed up the quarterbacks to run outside of the tackles. Uh, but, it, you know, I'm not the X's and O's guy. I, I do think it was more of the defensive end position. And just one more thing about Don Terry Poe. 
I think that he makes a ton of sense for the Bills when he is right, when he is healthy, because not just for the Bills maybe needing that one technique, Poe's going to want to come back and reestablish his value because he'll be a free agent uh, in 2021. So he's going to want to go somewhere that he's familiar with. And he may not be familiar with Sean McDermott or Leslie Frazier, but he's played under Eric Washington. And he played quite well with him. So I, I think the Bills will be on his short list of teams that he would come back and play with this year. So if that one technique position continues to be up and down or uh, inconsistent, don't be surprised if the Bills do eventually end up adding him. But Matt, going back to that question, what do you think the issue's been in terms of the edge uh, defensive end or linebacker? You know, I think Leslie Frazier alluded to it recently is that we've done a really good job one-on-one. And I asked him about how well this defense, these defensive ends have been playing because going into last week of the NFL season, Pro Football Focus, and I know we all have our things with Pro Football Focus, but you know they had the top three Bills DNs, Trent Murphy, Jerry Hughes, and Mario Addison ranked um, in the top 15 in terms of edge rushers, in terms of winning, uh, or no, top-graded edge rushers in terms of pass rush. So I'm like, I'm sitting back here, and and what are the big issues that this team is having? A lot of times they're winning their one-on-ones, but they're winning them so well that they fail to you know maintain their gap and, and hold the edge on the outside. And that's when you see a lot of quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes did it, scoot on the outside and make a play on the run. And when you playing some of these quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, and I saw uh, another question in the questions or uh, in the comments, how many points do the bills have to score this week to beat the Seattle Seahawks? They may have to score 40. We've been talking about a couple shootouts this season. We've seen a couple shootouts. I, I think that you could characterize that Rams game, even though it was a, a heavy dose of the Bills offense early, it turned into a shootout. I think the Bills have to go into this game prepared to score 40. And, you know, it's funny. Josh Allen said that they do that every week. But I don't think that that's necessarily the mentality every week. I don't think that that was the mentality last week against the Patriots. It was to go in there, win at the line of scrimmage, establish the run game, run effectively, and make enough game plays in the passing game uh, to, to to survive and win against the division opponent that has had their number over the years. This week is totally different. You are going to have to air it out. You are going to have to get everybody involved. And without John Brown, a healthy John Brown, even if he's able to play, and as we see him missing practice today, he's still dealing with this injury. I, I'm, I have some concerns there. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you're going to need to score over 30 points, and you're right. It might be uh, eclipsing closer to 40 because they do have DK Metcalf. They do have Lockett. Uh, they they have Russell Wilson, who is the MVP of the league right now, in my opinion. I know he had uh, uh, one bad game maybe against Arizona, but overall he's been outstanding for that team. So you're going to have to put up a lot of points in this game. Can the Bills do it on offense against that secondary, against that Seattle defense? Yeah, but the Bills need to find that balance as well because you want to keep Russell Wilson off the field. So you do have to see more uh, of, of the run game this week, just like, you, you know, maybe not as heavy as last week, but you have to see Zach Moss and Devin Singletary pick up where they left off because they were both effective runners last week in John Feliciano's return. So get them involved, control the clock, but then obviously take those shots. And I know Jamal Adams uh, is back this week for Seattle, so he will add a little bit to that secondary but the Bills can put up points on this team. It's just whether or not they can put up enough and whether or not the defense, when they are out on the field, they can hold Seattle, they can get to Russell Wilson, and they can make some stops along the way. 75-minute episode of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. We're going to wrap it up right here. I got a scoot. I'm actually doing an appearance then on Hashtag Sports Podcast, so I'm going to go do that. Um, Thank you so much for watching live. We love that you guys participate. We love doing these Q&As. A couple people were talking about in the comments, you know, 
Um, if you ever feel like your questions aren't being answered and we try to scroll through and do the best that we can, but we got three platforms that are kind of popping up and it, it gets difficult. DM us before the show on Wednesday. If you know you have a question that you want us to talk about, DM me on Twitter, Ryan on Twitter. Both of our DMs are open and we will answer them. And in the meantime, in between shows, find us on the audio platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. It really helps us out. Plus, you can get the show after the fact. If you didn't see the full live edition or you just want to listen to it back, we'll have it for you. I'm not sure yet on the preview episode. We'll keep you posted. Uh, we may not have one this week. I got to figure some things out. But um, thank you so much for watching. Ryan, final thought. Final thoughts. You know, the Bills are sitting right where they want to be at the midway point of the season at 6-2. and two. Uh, this is a huge opportunity, though, this week, weekend, I should say, to pick up a win that maybe a lot of people are not expecting. But this is the thing about the Bills. Every year, it's, hey, they're beating the teams they're supposed to. When are they going to finally beat an actual contender? Here's your opportunity. You knock off Seattle, and all of a sudden, team uh, analysts, experts are going to be talking about the Bills the way they were after the first four weeks of the season. Keep it locked on to all of our networks here on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, our Twitter accounts. We will announce if we do have a, a preview show. Maybe it might even be Saturday. I don't know. i got to talk to my wife. We haven't gotten that far yet. My son's having surgery tomorrow, so the next couple of days are kind of up in the air. Thank you so much for watching. For watching, He's Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. This is the Shout Football Podcast. Find all of our Bills coverage over at Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. Have a great night, guys. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win.